This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Studios in Chicago, Illinois. It's Blockbuster Film School. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to Blockbuster Film School. You are here to learn. You are here to slowly be re educated so that you may be a more effective Blockbuster employee. And in order to do that, you need to know who your overlords are. Your overlords this evening will be my favorite Blockbuster employee, Mr. Nicholas Souter. Hello, and I also realized you were just cleaning your apartment while this is playing in the background. <laughs> That's true. Thanks or for the plays. Running or at running, the gym. At the gym. Doing laundry. Slowly crying in the bathroom with the shower on. I wouldn't do that. I'm Alex Potter. I am your other overlord. Yeah. Oh, Velkomen. It's time. You, you are say Val Kilmer. Val, Val Kilmer. That's Val Kilmer. That's Val Kilmer. It's a greeting we have here. Oh, and, welcome to you. It's and, so nice to be here. And also with you. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, so. The Southside Germans. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. If you're here, you probably listened to the last two episodes. If not, prepare yourself. I feel like this is the end of the semester. It really is. This is our dissertation that yeah. we've been having on our favorite diminutive film genius. He's only four foot one, I believe. No, that's not true. And his horrible slander. Against, yeah. I actually have no idea how tall Martin Scorsese is. What do you think the over-under uh, is on height for Martin? Well, he's Italian. I'll say 5'6". Five, 5'6"? Six. Five, six? Yeah. Are we looking this up? Yeah, I'm looking, looking it, up, right? it up. It's happening. Wait, wait, wait. Are you betting or are you just going to look it up? Uh, no, okay. Uh, I'm going to say I'm gonna say a little shorter. I'm going to say like 5'3". Five, 5'3". Three. Five, three. Brain? I'm just going to You said 5'6". I'll take the under. You want to take the over? I'll take the over. Okay, okay, okay. okay. He's 5'4". God damn it. <laughs> So you, don't, you didn't say anything, Brian. I'm just saying. Just pointing at your head doesn't mean you win. I don't know what it is. No. There's something like in his intelligence, in his, I'll put it this way, maybe a little bit of a segue into his movies. A little bit of an interesting element of the way he paints movies, the way he paints characters, a lot of chips on shoulders. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Yeah. A lot of how dare you underestimate me. So if he was average height, <laughs> his movies would be terrible. <laughs> there's, there's, I just, I feel like, and okay. I know that sounds weirder. This, this, this is totally off subject. Mm-hmm. Look up how tall, what is it, Paul W. Anderson is? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the is, I mean, like PT, PT, I think, is like six feet tall. George Lucas is also short. Absolutely. There's, oh, there is yeah. a chip. He kills his own dad and grandfather, okay? Luke Skywalker has such a heavy-duty chip on his shoulder, he literally has to kill, he has to commit, commit patricide. Well, he tries to save his dad. He tries to save his dad from his step-granddad, okay? Which I think is the plot of Return of the Jedi. And then there's bears that eat people. I'm unclear on how that all works. There's Slave Leia. I remember that. We'll get into that. But there's that element, too, where do you think Orson Welles gave a shit? Orson Welles didn't give a shit because Orson Welles was, like, six foot two and and was a massive dude. Like, get out of my way. Push people's face out of the way. Oh, I've seen this. Brian Tepps is messing with me. (laughs) Don't show me memes while I'm trying to do the intro. Oh, I saw that, yeah. But uh, Paul W.S. Anderson is 6'3". Well, what did Paul W.S. Anderson direct, Nick, for our film school students? Who don't know? Mm Mm-hmm. 
he directed Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Yes, that's exactly. Most of the re- and the first few Resident Evil movies. Yes, with his wife Mila Jovovich. Wait, he married Mila Jovovich? Yeah. Oh fuck this dude. Yeah. Oh okay. Height, height gets you to marry. Wow. People who used to be married to Luke Besson, but that doesn't mean you make good movies. <laughs> I don't. Well, <laughs> Luke Besson, another one. I guarantee Luke is tall. Almost- I guarantee he is doing something illegal right now. Absolutely. Well, he's definitely fire. Yeah. He's roasting up a big old joint <laughs> just in public. Just oh, I just meant like more uh, like assault. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that a Luke Besson uh-huh. thing? Yeah, I didn't know that. No. I mean, he did make that Taxi Driver movie with not the Taxi Driver of Scorsese, but that one with Jimmy Fallon and. Queen Latifah that everyone loved so much so that super producer Brian Tess is making a face as though I had just put a rotten fish in front of it. Uh, Gefelda fish? No, that's delicious. I know. And we won't make fun it of our sweetest fans. I'm sorry. Jesus. Um, it's a huge sigh. All right. Well, that's a pretty, this is a pretty informative intro. Well, everyone, this week we're finishing it up. I think, I think we can, I think we can close it out. I, I know we needed to do a three-parter because he's worth it. He's the man, the myth, the legend. Mr. Martin Scorsese, as we mentioned, he is five foot four. Five nine. <laughs> With flats. And also if it says disco stew shoes. Also, if it's coming off of IMDB like Henry Zabrowski, he's probably five two. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we love him. He's one of the great American film. He's one of the great filmmakers of all time. He is. He is a master filmmaker, and we need to do a three-parter on him. And guess what? You are in part three. So, part three in the timeline is the 2000s. It is, in my opinion, the renaissance, the revitalization for Mr. Martin Scorsese. He does a lot of new stuff. He makes a lot of money. He teams up with his boy, a guy he will work with more than Robert De Niro, a guy he will work with more than Pesci. He will make more money with than any other actor he has worked with. It is Mr. Leonardo I don't think it's more than Nero. I think so. I think at this point, I think uh, it was the... Well, with the Irishman, that's at least five. Uh, and so DiCaprio is... Four. Gangs. Aviator. Aviator. Shutter Island. Shutter Island. Departed. Uh, Wolf. But, yeah, so... Okay, so they're the same now. So, yeah. but, but you understand what I'm saying? That uh, the first part of his career is very much so defined by Robert De Niro also becoming a star at the same time he... Uh, is becoming a star as a director, and DiCaprio, in a lot of ways, we were talking about this a little bit before, where DiCaprio, if you're unfamiliar with Leonardo DiCaprio, we're on to you, you are a robot, and (laughs) we'll find you, you motherfucker. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, in the 90s, was kind of a heartthrob. He was in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and... Kind of of a heartthrob, that was his thing. He He was already an awesome actor in... What's Eating Gilbert Grape and Romeo and Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, and in Danny Boyle's Ill-Fated The Beach. But, mm. yeah, but you could already see even with that that even though he was this handsome heartthrob guy, he wasn't about to just jump into, like, the weird Josh Hartnett, I only do rom-coms, I only do sort of teen thriller movies. He clearly wanted to do something else. Uh, what was the first uh, DiCaprio movie you ever remember seeing? With eating girl grape. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. And he stood out because he's he's awesome. He's he's DiCaprio. I'm sorry. And you watch it and you go, is he? Uh according he? I know, according to legend, and I may have brought this up last time, De Niro was the one who pointed out DiCaprio 
to Scorsese and Scorsese watched uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape and kind of for a few minutes was like, is this kid mentally handicapped? Is this happening? Did DiCaprio? And then De Niro was like, come on, come on, come on, is he, come on, come on, haven't you listened? And then he popped in a tape because he recorded every single episode of Goddamn. What was that show? Was no, the, I'm leaving. I'm letting you. No, what was talk the, it out? What was the sitcom? Talk it, it out. Uh, Growing pains. It was growing. <laughs> I just like the idea that dude, I've recorded. I've recorded a fabulous show that I enjoy. Marty, sit down. I have to. I have to show you something. Then he popped in one of the 235 episodes of Growing Pains of the like six that DiCaprio was on, and they watched it and uh, they smoked a bunch of uh, hashish during it. So, and then after that, but. I think the big element was that after the 90s, we talked a little bit about it. Late 90s for Mr. Scorsese, there's some stuff in it that nerds like us enjoy, like Bringing Out the Dead. But the audiences of the world were kind of... A little mm, shy. Show the cinema. <laughs> they were the age of... I mean, I know the age of innocence was... You know, Casino had come out. Casino was... A financial hit, but it was a huge hit. Eight hundred uh, million dollars. I know, but it cost like sixty. He was starting to get up there a little bit. Like it was good. Don't get me wrong. And so he's still Scorsese. Like no one's kicking him out of Hollywood. He was not flopping. But the returns are coming back. And even though he made Goodfellas and he made Casino, there's still kind of five years. He hasn't made anything in a while. He hasn't made anything in a while. He doesn't know what to make. And then he finally teams up with DiCaprio. And there's rumors on this. I don't I don't want to go fully into rumor and innuendo, but there's also a possibility that Scorsese was having trouble getting movies off the ground, right? <laughs> and he was trying to ha- he was trying to get movies off the ground and he what <laughs> Did I throw you off that much? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Scorsese was having trouble getting movies off the ground at all. And then him and DiCaprio start hanging out and they become friends before they ever make anything. Have you ever read the book that Gangs of New York is based on? It's a Herbert Asbury book. Herbert Asbury was a writer of the time. It's not a plot book. It's a nonfiction book just about New York in the 1850s, the 1840s to the 1850s, and about how bananas it was, how many gangs, obviously, I apologize to everyone that I'd had to do that, but that even though it is America, the writing seems American, it's in the American voice, it is us, what they are describing is a, an America that does not exist at all anymore. It seems preposterous that it is a world that is both of American ideas. There are things like schools and businesses and people speaking with sort of American-style accents. And, and there's also a guy walking around with a fucking... A bat that he has a fucking death toll on. Absolutely. There's open murder in the streets. Sometimes, legally, you know, (laughs) in a way, there's fire departments fighting each other because they themselves are gangs. I know, but the idea of municipality is loose. What belongs to anyone is loose. Everything is sort of based on honor as opposed to actual law. You have to actually fight motherfuckers to get stuff. And they turn it into gangs of New York which was a Jay Cox, Kenneth Lonergan, Stephen Zalian screenplay, 2002. I am a huge fan of this movie. I love it. 
it revitalized my love for Scorsese. What do you think? Because I know I'm just going to talk about how much I fucking love Gangs of New York, but I know you have thoughts on it, and I genuinely appreciate your opinion. That's why you're here. It's all right. <laughs> what? No, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. The acting's great in it. I really like both DiCaprio and... Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. but there's so much movie. It is long, I guess, and I agree with you of that element. It, it's sort of one of those movies where if you start watching it and that world sucks you in, you really enjoy that world with the costumes and the way that everybody talks and the way that everything works, just like a true period piece and also something, if it sucks you in, then you're sucked in. But I get how if it doesn't suck you in, the other problem it's I three have hours with, long. Like, the other problem I have with this movie is that most of the characters are just horrible pieces of shit, and I don't really care about them. Um... The same thing can be said for Goodfellas, but because but they're Italian, they're so... you're being racist now. Because no, they're... no, you're being racist. <laughs> I'm being... Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, mister, uh, you've never made an Italian joke, have you, Bonner? I've never made an Italian joke ever. I'm not even sure what Italy is. It's just, well, a, it's just... just a concept. That's... Uh... It's just a state of... It's just anyway. a state of breadsticks. <sighs> you motherfucker. <laughs> what I'm saying is... Yes. The people in this movie who are just shitty... Mm. are kind of just one note shitty. Whereas in Goodfellas, they are multiple layered people who are still bastards, but you forget that in their charisma. You get caught up in that. I do understand what you're saying a little bit, and I do understand that it is harder to define some of these characters. There's like 900 characters in this movie. And I'll get into this in a second, because it is something I like about this movie, because it is, like I said, it is his first movie in kind of the third and different era of Scorsese. Like, he's not using any of his old guys at all. There's no Pesci. There's no De Niro. There's He's using DiCaprio. He's using... I know Daniel Day-Lewis was in The Age of Innocence, but he's using Day-Lewis. He's using John C. Riley. He's using Brendan Gleeson. You know, John C. Riley Ke- uh, almost turned this down, and Paul Thomas Anderson convinced him to do it. Thank God, because, I mean, he's great in it. I like that character. See, I disagree. I think I understand that there are, like, 900 characters. Cameron Diaz's character often stands out as being a little... I think they might have cut some of her lines, just because Cameron Diaz... I like her, but her doing an Irish accent was... I mean, everybody, but, but I do agree that everybody's accent is crazy because who knows what their fucking accent sounded like then. See, that's what I'm saying. I like about his period piece things is he's willing to take these weird risks where I love Daniel Day Lewis's thing where he's doing a New York accent that sounds sort of familiar, but is an accent that no longer exists. He truly has decided. Oh, that was totally fictionalized. I know, but, but it's semi fictionalized. Like he's decided he's in his mind as an actor, I think this is maybe what I think someone from New York would have sounded like 100 years ago. They'd be a little more educated, but they themselves would still be from New York. So if I thought it was you, you'd already be wearing a wooden coat. I will festoon my bedchambers with your entrails. Using these sort of bizarre highfalutin words, but still saying things like ain't and don't come back here again without anything for me because you don't deserve my company. This is, you know, these kind of weird isms that sort of appear... The fact that he's still using pop music in it, but it's pop music from the 1850s. The fact, I mean, just crazy stuff like that. And D. Lewis, you're right. The characters all over the place, there's 900 characters. And a lot of them are not fleshed out all the way. I agree with that. Bill the Butcher and Amsterdam are fleshed out. In, I know. But- and... 
you're right. And the whole movie is, it just comes down to a microcosm. It just comes down to Day-Lewis and DiCaprio being in this movie and being together on screen and just trying to out-fucking-do each other. And I think it's amazing. And not just amazing, I think it's kind of nasty and cool and kind of fun and weird and still has that Scorsese comedy to it a little bit. It still has that Scorsese sort of sexiness to it. It has definitely the Scorsese violence to it. He has a lot of his never look away, never look away, which is kind of a ethos for Scorsese in general. Whereas he is such a master filmmaker, he doesn't do that thing often where he turns away from the violence. Like you normally happens in cinema where the ax is about to hit the guy and then you cut away. And you just see the blood spatter against the wall. Scorsese doesn't do that. When they shoot Pesci in Goodfellas, you watch him get shot. You see that violence. And there's kind of this weird, I don't know, mythos to it. But I don't know. I don't know if you have other thoughts. Mayhem on- is not enough for me. I don't think it's just mayhem, though. I Like I was saying, I think it has one of the more complex plots of any of his movies, where it starts with this really wild scene where a bunch of 1840s gangs led by the guy from Taken. Ew. <laughs> still. But they they take on... His Irish accent's worse than Cameron Diaz. Right. First of all, seeing it on a big screen is one thing, okay? Because the first time I saw it was on a movie theater, and that was crazy. Because the way the sound works, and you could actually see Dale Day-Lewis come out with his cool shoes and outfit and crunch his foot down into the snow and then stomp it back together like a weird Siberian tiger or something. And... We are here for good and all to see if us natives born here right wise. Like this weird, it blew my mind the first time I saw it. I was super depressed. I was living in North Carolina. It was 2003. I used to do this thing where I would go to movies. I wouldn't even sneak in. I was such a not stealing things douchebag. I would watch a movie and then like a sad person, I would walk back out to the box office, buy another movie ticket, and then just watch another movie. I don't even remember what the first movie I saw was. I can't, I tried, I tried to think of it because the second movie I saw was Gangs of New York and it messed with me and blew my mind so much that I decided to move back to Chicago. I decided at that moment that I just, I had to go to film school. I had to do something. This was too rad. It was too much. It was too fucking bananas. I had to do something and I couldn't just sit around while shit like this was being made. And maybe it's my own personal element with that. I believe so. Maybe. I don't have that connection. Yeah, that's fair. But I was it in North Carolina paying for a I find it funny, though, that you, you're so into all the other Scorsese stuff. And then I am into this movie, but just you are I know. continuing to. I, know. I you apologize. Know. I apologize. What, what do you, are the things you like about it? I like a lot of stuff about it. What, is it uh, the scenes with Cameron Diaz? Yeah. I have those on VHS that I, <laughs> I copied off of uh, Stars. It's kind of a sexy scene with her and DiCaprio, though, where he tries... I don't to... think anything in this movie is sexy. I disagree, but yes, I don't know. Daniel Day-Lewis is great. That's obvious. DiCaprio's great. Brendan Gleeson's great. I like John C. Riley. It's like, it's the acting, but there's just so much... Like I said, like, after a while, the violence just kind of desensitizes you. It's just like, it's not that big a deal after a while. I like... I like the acting in this. I yeah. this, I think that's the strongest part of this movie. The cinematography is great. Mm-hmm. It's well edited. It's just there's, it's a great movie. It's just not something I'm gonna. If it's on TV, I'll watch it. If it's, right. I'm not gonna sit down and be like, oh, it's Gangs of New York Day. I see what you're saying. I mean, I I agree. 
I do sometimes watch it, though, just because I like it so much. And I genuinely... It's my favorite Daniel Day-Lewis movie. And I know I like Last of the Mohicans, and I know I like a lot of his movies. I know you love Lincoln. You just sit around with your T-shirt for Lincoln. Hey, hey, Brian, have you seen my Lincoln tattoo? It's just Daniel Day-Lewis. That part where he slaps the guy from 30 Rock. Or not 30 Rock, 3rd Rock for the Sun. I wish he slapped Jack O'Brien. <laughs> it's totally a different movie. It'd be a totally different movie. Yeah. It said he slaps Robert. Ow! <laughs> when they mix the sex and the violence. I like okay. it. <laughs> um, but it, you have to admit, though, that it's different. It's different than all the other Scorsese stuff. It incorporates a lot of his things that he likes to do. It incorporates violence. It incorporates large, crazy stories about time periods. It incorporates really big, almost biblical or almost... Shakespearean sort of plot dynamics. For instance, I was saying it is crazy that the main story, if you've never seen it, spoiler alert, is that Bill the Butcher, Daniel Lewis, kills Amsterdam, Leonardo DiCaprio's father. And then when DiCaprio becomes an adult, he comes back thinking he's just going to get revenge, but instead he ends up in his gang and kind of Bill the Butcher becomes his actual dad. He begins to love him, including at one point saving his life. The key could let him die. An assassin comes up to kill him, and instead he jumps up to try and save him. And this sort of crazy, what are you doing? And then in the end, they eventually come to terms because they're both in love with the same woman. Or maybe it's not. Or because it's America. Because shit is splintering. Because everyone hates each other. Because at any moment you could fight your own adoptive father over fucking anything. And then at the end... It doesn't fucking matter. None of that shit mattered at all. No one remembers you. No one remembers any of these people, these crazy wars that went down. All of this insane stuff are just things that only nerds like me and Scorsese and other people who maybe care remember. Otherwise, but they did have a stupid U2 song at the end, which sucks. Yes, agreed. Fuck you, U2. (laughs) Fish in a barrel. (laughs) <laughs> okay, all right, we'll move on. We'll see if you like another one. Let's try a different one. We'll I do it. like this movie. You're acting like because I don't love it, I hate it. You swear allegiance to this movie. <laughs> I will swear allegiance to nothing other than this iced coffee that I'm drinking at 10 o'clock at night. That's <laughs> that is fair. I don't know where you got that from either. That's the store. That's impressive. I, I, no, I know, but I didn't see you have it before. So I literally brought it in with the claw. I did. I don't know about that. Nick Souter may be a witch. He made an iced coffee appear that I did not see happen. Guess what? Your White Claw, it's filled with iced coffee now. Oh, whoa, whoa, David Blaine. Um, that's the most insulting thing I could have said to you. Yeah, it is. Taps, take over. <laughs> All right, so let's move on, shall we? Because that's just the beginning of the Scorsese Renaissance, and I apologize. I won't be talking about as many of them for so long. I just really enjoy Gags of New York. It meant a lot to me. But it is, I understand. It also was just cool to see him and DiCaprio work together. I think that was kind of the thing where I would love for him and Daniel Day-Lewis to work together again. I would love for that. I think the way that Scorsese directs actors and writes movies, those two, obviously one of them fits in perfectly. But Also, it's worth mentioning that Daniel Day-Lewis came out of retirement to work on this movie because mm-hmm. he was working as a cobbler in Italy for three years before he made this. And according to legend, the only reason it happened is that DiCaprio liked it so much. And DiCaprio likes Scorsese, and DiCaprio DiCaprio was the one who went around glad-handing people and showing up to things and being like, hey, give us money. And people were like, Scorsese? And he's like, just give me the fucking money, pal. Just give me the fucking money. Fuck you, pay me. And I also, I genuinely like how much 
I think DiCaprio has a quality that's a little different than De Niro. De Niro always looks tough, right? De Niro always looks like somebody you should not mess with, right? But DiCaprio has a little bit of this edge where, look at this pretty boy. Look at this wiener. This guy's not tough. But then he has craziness, right? His eyes are sort of, there's something in them, right? You call me a chiseler? Because if you call me a chiseler, then we have business. When DiCaprio appears to want to murder you, he's terrifying. He's as though a real person. That's what I think the element. as When DiCaprio gets crazy, it's like someone you worked with went berserk. And in a way, for me, it's, which one is scarier? The mafia guy who will just choke someone over $200? It doesn't even bother him and send one of his best friends to go get murdered. <laughs> just It's just down there. It's just down and not even blink an eye over it. Or the guy who will do a ton of quaaludes and then try to drive his car. and try, I don't know. It's something I like about how the difference between who is the more dangerous Scorsese protagonist character, Leonardo DiCaprio or Robert De Niro. I don't know. I would go De Niro. Right. Well, it's, it, I think it's personal taste. I don't. The whole podcast is personal taste. Yes, agreed. I agree. We're not actually teachers. I love. No, that's not true. I am. Um, I am at Harvard. Vardy. Community go. college. There you go. <laughs> okay. So they make gangs and it is Scorsese's biggest budget. It is a hundred million dollars. Everyone is worried about it but it is a huge financial and critical success. It gets nominated for tons of Academy Awards. Um, it was, unfortunately, Miramax, who's never done anything weird. We've never had any trouble with Miramax before. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing to see there. But apparently, to his credit, Scorsese and Harvey Weinstein apparently hated each other. Apparently just... I read something completely different. What do you mean? They've been friends for years. This is the first movie they worked on together. The production was highly troubled, with many rumors referring to the director's conflict with Harvey Weinstein, Miramax boss. Despite denials of artistic compromise, some felt that Gangs of New York revealed itself to be the director's most conventional film, possibly because of Weinstein's bullying. I read something else. That's all I'm saying. Oh, well, I don't know. What did you read? <laughs> that they were friends for years and they helped each other on projects. This is the first time they worked together. They probably shouldn't have worked together. Mm, maybe. You find out weird stuff when you actually work with your friends. Yeah. Like when you just meet them at a party and you're like, oh, you're funny. You're a funny guy yeah. that I see at the party. When you actually have to like have big money on the line and you're like, you're kind of rapey and insane. Yeah. Like you're kind of short. Like stop trying to bully me, you psycho. Like <laughs> possibly how it went. I don't know. So, yes, yeah, so it was over 168 minutes. It got nominated for Best Picture. Scorsese got his first Golden Globe for Best Director for Gangs of New York. It did not win any Oscars. No, it got shut out. It got shut out. But it did bring him back. And big studios were then like, well, actually, we never thought of you as a big budget, big, crazy, period piece guy. So we should bring you in to make The Aviator. 2004's The Aviator starring, I think this is Leonardo DiCaprio. I believe it's pronounced DiTuccio. La Tata <laughs> I don't know why I was amused with that. I, I have no idea what the hell that was. That was his, that's how you pronounce his name. So, what do you think of the Aviator, Dick? 
you know, Kate Blanchett's really. Would you say the old poop? God, it's my terrible Jeez. cast. That's my. It's almost as good as her, Catherine Hepburn. Almost. Um, <laughs> my golly, my golly, I'm flying a plane. <laughs> I hope you got some milk to drink, Howard. Jesus Christ, this movie is a very lavish period piece. Mm-hmm. Tons of actors. Mm-hmm. Was this a long movie? I don't remember. It is. Uh, it's like two hours, right? Six and a half hours long. Either way, it is long. This movie could have been called One Man Show. Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> plays Howard Hughes. Yes. And it would have been just as just as a spot on title. And Alex yells, that's Adam Scott, whenever Adam Scott shows yeah, up. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Show that mustache off. It's Adam Scott, look, it's Adam him. Scott. Yeah, I think it might be one of my least favorite Scorsese's. It could have been called Oscar Bait. They might have called it that. Oof. They could have called it, how do you make a movie that is literally the formula for things Hollywood likes. Yeah. How do we get DiCaprio nominated for lead actor? How do we take people who won Oscars in the past, have other actors who have also won Oscars play those actors and kiss their ass in the movie? Yeah. And the movie doesn't have a plot other than sort of kissing their ass and slowly talking shit about one of the guys that they like but also secretly hated Howard Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> How do we make fat Alec Baldwin look skinny? Sorry, that I'm guy. overweight. Say what I want, and then she just—you mean Alec Baldwin? Yeah. I like Kate Blanchett. Yeah, so fucking much. I like all of these she actors. Is goddamn borderline annoying in this. It's crazy. I hadn't seen yeah. this movie right before we recorded the first episode of this Scorsese trilogy, like nine years ago. Yeah. I had watched Aviator for the first time, and I told you this as soon as I got done watching it. I would have much rather had <laughs> Christian Wig do her impression. Oh, she been so much better. If they would have, if they would have gone completely Saturday Night Live on this whole movie, yeah. if this whole thing would have just been a wild for comedy. no reason, Bill Hader is a Vincent Price oh, cameo. Oh, I would have, I would have loved this. I would have loved this. But look, exactly like you said. Scorsese gets more money. He makes the period look even better. It looks it's amazing looking film. It looks amazing. Completely well shot. The it's, sound is great. And I know he's such a nerd for old Hollywood. It looks like Golden Age. It's cool. I need 10 chocolate chip cookies with, I don't know which accent that is for DiCaprio, <laughs> but I need medium chips equal, equally around. I didn't wash my hair, and now it sticks to my head like I've been wearing the top hat the entire time. Yeah, fucking... You didn't mention this. Daniel Day Lewis didn't wash his hair the entire production. Mm-hmm. Got so grossed out, he so immediately good. shaved his head. He looks so cool in it, though. He looks so good and scary and nasty. And he looked like he when looks he like what's that guy to death? He headbutts a guy to death. That guy's dead. And then possibly but no, he, he looks, may have method acted that guy. He looks like Trent Reznor in the Perfect Drug Music video. If he was also into steampunk. This entire episode, I am just going to keep going back a little bit to gangs and probably to Dale Day-Lewis. Just watch the way that Dale Day-Lewis walks at Gangs of New York. Specifically score... One leg in front of the other. I remember listening to the director's commentary for it when I had the DVD of it. And there was a thing where they, a couple of times much like Scorsese likes to do, had big, long tracking shots that sometimes came in off of cranes and were these big top-down, into-the-street shots. And a couple of times, he thought to himself that he liked the way that Daniel Lewis was walking so much, the gait of his walk and the sort of way that he moved so much. 
And then he would see how they had kind of come in and cut that off so that he couldn't see his feet, so he couldn't see part of his hands. And they would redo the entire, like, three-minute-long tracking crane shot, not because it was a failure, but because of how cool Scorsese thought what Daniel Day-Lewis was doing. I just, that, I don't think that happened in the AV. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no. think. I don't know. I love DiCaprio. He's tried his hardest. It also has that problem where you have a protagonist who has a, a major flaw that ends up with him being a complete asshole. Where I'm sorry for anybody who has OCD. I know it's probably a nightmare, but in movies, it just makes okay. you kind of look like a dickhead, or the at OCD, least the way they paint it. The OCD wasn't the problem with me. It was the hiring a 15 year old to be his girlfriend. Also being an asshole to everybody else anyway. That's weird. Like, he he did a lot of shitty... I think the OCD is the least asshole-ish thing he did. I know, but the, what I'm saying is they paint... The guy asks for the soap, and and then he can't hand him the soap. He can't, he can't do it. And movies already where you just are trying to make me feel uncomfortable, I, I'll, I'll ride with you, but it happens several times in this movie where it just makes... Okay, great. Howard Hughes makes me feel uncomfortable. He makes me feel weird. Cool. This is a cool protagonist that I care about. No, I don't. He is a rich dildo who died being an asshole. I don't I don't know what you want me to. If he was poor, you think he would have gotten away with being this weird? If he was poor, <laughs> he could have been that weird because he was working nine to five. Yes, that's or, what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> His OCD would have gone on treat and he would have died in the streets. Maybe. I don't know. Or you know what? It's Catherine Hepburn's fault. Also, the movie does kind of insinuate that a little bit, which is weird, which I don't mm, like. I didn't. Eh, there's a little bit like he was happy with her, and then when she ditched him, his brain kind of broke. I don't know. His brain was broke before that. That's I know. I agree. And there's a tragic element. But also, also, if he's that big mm-hmm. of a cringeworthy asshole for you to stare at, what's going to make her stay with him? I, that's what I. Not mean. Not her fault. Okay. Not his, yeah. I know. Well, we'll, and we'll continue to talk about this, but. Um, But The Aviator was nominated for six Golden Globes. It was nominated for, sorry. It became the most nominated film of 2005 at the 77th Academy Awards. It was nominated in 11 categories, including Best Picture. The film got nominations in nearly all of the other major categories, including a fifth Best Director nomination for Scorsese. Spoiler alert, he does not win. Leo, Leo, I think, gets another Oscar nod, but I think this is the first one with... uh, No, I think he got nominated for Gangs. Uh, Kate Blanchett gets nominated. Alan Alda. Kate Blanchett wins. Kate Blanchett, this is what I'm saying. The film ends up with five Oscars. Best Actress for Blanchett, Best Art Direction, Best Costume... See, I agree with these. Art Direction, Costume Design, Film Editing for Thelma, and Cinematography. I agree with those. And I... I, Kate Blanchett doing that accent? I love Kate Blanchett. I love her stuff. But it does not age well. (laughs) Like, it's weird. Um, Guess what? So that's the interesting thing. Michael Mann's a producer on The Aviator and kind of comes in... Also, from what I heard, rumor and innuendo, but because of the problems with him and Weinstein, they 
Scorsese, after the success of Gangs, was openly shopping to go somewhere else. And Michael Mann came in with money and said, hey, man, like, I can, I can get this made. Um, hilariously, though, not hilariously, Scorsese loses again. Guess who he loses to? Do you guys know? What year is this? Just 2005. Just, I'm telling you, he, he loses. Oh, he loses a crash. No, he loses. He almost exclusively loses to actors who became directors. <laughs> Get off my lawn. He loses to Clint Eastwood for Million Dollar Baby, mm. in which, why do you have a stool inside of the boxing rig? Pull your head out of your ass, is what I'm saying on that one. Um, why? <laughs> um, but it does win Best Picture. So. What? No, it doesn't win best. Picture. No, it doesn't. No, I'm sorry. No. Uh, million Dollar Baby won everything. No, Million Dollar. That's what I'm saying. Million yeah. Dollar. I apologize. I didn't. Co- I didn't comment that correct. Million Dollar Baby wins Best Picture, even though it's real stupid. And <laughs> Clint Eastwood's so a hack. Oh, there I said it. There I said it. You come fight me, Clint Eastwood. Although I will say that sentient skeleton might beat the shit out of me. There's a real possibility of that. Um. So after that, he makes. He goes back to documentaries. He makes No Direction Home, which is Bob Dylan. I love that documentary. It's actually really cool. It's really fucking good. I like that documentary more than I like Bob Dylan. We could do an entire side episode one day about Scorsese's. I feel like we're not doing enough of his documentaries. His stuff about the Stones, Give Me Shelter, all of his really cool music documentaries are so good. He's such a, like we said, his movies have so much pop music. He is, as much as he is a nerd about films, he is also a nerd about pop music and what pop music to use. His, it's one of his hallmarks and is, in my opinion, one of those things that I don't think as many people realize that he was, in my opinion, for American audiences, the one who really ushered that in, truly, at that level. Um, I don't think anybody uses it in the way that he uses it, or at least did in the beginning. Um, so he works on a bunch, he's doing all that kind of stuff. He, he makes all kinds of awesome uh, documentaries, but No Direction Home wins a Peabody. I mean, it, it's a great fucking movie. It's a great fucking movie. It's it got nominated for best uh, documentary. I mean, it's also because in that movie, we mentioned this in the Julianne Moore episode. Yes, if it wasn't for that movie, my favorite scene in that fucking uh. Stupid Bob Dylan movie that fucking Todd Haynes movie. I don't remember the fucking name. Uh, but Julian I am Moses. not there. I am not there. I am. I am he. Who are you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hello, Bunger. I think this was called. Well, that's R.I.P. Heath Ledger. Oh no, that's the protagonist of Doctor Panassus or whatever. Anyways, he's in it though. Yeah, but he didn't die until he worked with Terry Gilliam. I know. We worked with him once before. Hey. Anyways, it's okay. If if Joan Baez wasn't in this movie <laughs> as the only person who during the interview session decided to sing a song a fucking asshole because I hate Joan Baez, then Julianne Moore would have done that in I'm Not There. Yeah. And that would not have been my favorite fucking scene in that movie. <laughs> so without this movie, yeah. there wouldn't be one good scene in a Todd Haynes movie. And I yeah. just want to give that credit to Scorsese for letting Joan Baez be the total asshole that she is. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Good, good on Joan Baez. Yeah. That's snaps for Joan Baez. Um, prick, <laughs> but she has to be, she's a rebel. Um, so after this though, Scorsese comes back with a vengeance. 
He makes, I think, my favorite second Scorsese movie. I debate third. I debate it, which one I like more. Um, once again, he changes it up. It's not set in New York. He's decided not to set it in New York or in old Hollywood. He comes back. It's also not a fucking... It also takes place in modern times. It takes place in modern times. It is not a period piece. And other than DiCaprio, it's a lot of actors he doesn't usually work with. I know he's bringing back Baldwin again to be in it, but for the most part, he's bringing back tons of people he's never worked with. Martin Sheen, Mark Wahlberg. Nicholson. Fermina Verhoeven. I love her. God, why am I... I never know. I I, I know, I know. Uh, Brings back Kevin Corrigan. Yes, and Jack Nicholson. I love Kevin Corrigan. That's true. Got a sauce. (laughs) So <laughs> I feel lost. I was at funeral today. Yeah. Um, you know what? What we ask usually at this time, like he's not a cop. But, um, I'm your fucking cousin. So basically, I'm not a cop. Is The Departed? Yeah. And if you've never seen The Departed, you need to see The Departed. Okay. Uh, you handle that way classier than I thought you were gonna. You you're a moron. No, there it is. Your life is trash, <sighs> and the fact that you haven't seen it means that you suck. Okay. Now you can remedy this. You can fix this by seeing the department. Okay. It is. I think this is the first time we're going to fully agree on solid two star movie. Like it's not really. <laughs> yeah. Oh it's yeah. Not really the best. Oh of the best, yeah. Nobody likes, but the, there's so many quick cuts in this movie. It just, it keeps my ADD. Oh, is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Is that what it is? Bullshit. Just quick edits, you know, bullshit. I, Plus, as you know, Mark Wahlberg is my favorite actor. Listen, um, I'm, I'm totally okay with him blinding Korean man. When it's the coolest Matt David movie of all time. That's actually true. Um, the, I, DiCaprio, in my opinion, this is the first time where he really gives a performance. That's, I'm just gonna say truly fucking electrifying. It's, I saw it in the theater and couldn't take my eyes off of what was happening. It was preposterous to me how cool it was. I, all of these weird actors who you had seen in all, all these big actors, not weird, but all these big actors finally kind of having being wrangled by Martin Scorsese to make something really razor sharp and nasty and edgy. And you never know what's going to happen next. And you don't, and I know it's based on a Hong Kong movie, but, but like, I didn't see that movie. So I, I, but they're also, it's like, not the way like Reservoir Dogs is. This is right. like actually adapted from right. it. Yes, Infernal Affairs, yeah. which if you've never seen it, it's basically about it's basically about two spies inside the police force. One of them is an undercover cop who is sanctioned by the police, but the police, in order for him to be an undercover cop, actually have to literally send him to jail so that hide his file. Right. So that no one knows that he ever was a cop and that he's a disgraced police officer, but then Matt Damon on the other side works for Jack Nicholson, who is a crime boss who becomes a well-regarded member of the Boston police force. And it's this he cat- rises fast like a 12 year old's dick. Right. And it's, this is this crazy cat and mouse game of who can get to who first and who can figure out who is the mole first and who can you trust? Because something I love in it too. You don't, you don't know how many moles there are. There are multiple moles. I'm spoiling this a little bit. But there, there is more than just two undercover people, and you don't know who is who, and you don't know who to trust. And it's, and exactly as you said, there's also this crazy Bostonness to everything. The my powers of detection tell me that these men came from Providence. Um, the 
also Jack Nicholson finally back, kind of being the Joker. Um, being he's way more dangerous than this Whitey than he Bulger. Was the Joker. It's if Whitey Bulger and the Joker got together and became Jack Nicholson's actual personality. There is a scene in which he is talking. You to- saying he's got a problem? <laughs> saying he worked at the airport. <laughs> There's a scene in which he's talking to Leonardo DiCaprio and he pulls a severed hand out of a Ziploc bag at breakfast, doesn't acknowledge that it's happening, and then pulls a wedding ring off of it and then gestures at him with the severed hand and never brings it up. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Mail is to his widow. Yes. It also, also, much in that same way, where uh, that way where DiCaprio can be scary, he is not a character who is sort of menacing in his silence. He is, but he is kind of like your super tough, weird cousin who, if you say the wrong thing to him, he seems real cool. He seems like a real cool, fun guy, right? And then you say the wrong thing to him, and then he smashes a glass over your head and literally starts stomping on you and trying to strangle you until the, until you, you, he has to be pulled off. You know this. I think I'm that cousin of my family. <laughs> I, I, That's strange. I, realization. I've known you a long time. I'm, I'm sorry. You're not. You are not. You are. You are a tough, intimidating presence. But you know what I'm talking about. The character that he plays in The Departed is. I've never seen this movie. Thank you. Thank you for helping me. Have you ever done improv before? <laughs> I'm in a box, <laughs> but it's made out of a cat. What do you like about The Departed? What, what's what's fucking everything. Mm. This movie is perfect mm. in every way. This movie is goddamn so rewatchable. Everything about it's amazing. Speaking of spoilers, watch out for the X's. Yeah. There is a very awesome motif in this where Martin Scorsese is letting you know early on there's no happy outcomes for anybody. Mm. It's very true. It's very true. And particularly hardcore in comparison to a lot of his movies. Yeah. Like, this is straight up nihilistic. Or it's just like, you know what? Life doesn't give a fuck about you at all. This is real. It is nonstop. It's also his funniest movie since fucking Goodfellas. It really it is. It is hilarious. It, every, all the, I think all the jokes land. All of it works. It's because they're just Shakespeare. Yeah. Hawthorne. <laughs> they're all assholes. Everybody in this movie yes. is a fucking asshole. Yes. And then everybody in this movie treats everybody else like they are a bigger asshole. I don't that think is Mar- what, this is what that movie makes this movie so special is because mm. it doesn't matter who's the protagonist. It doesn't matter who's the antagonist. At certain points, they don't know who they are mm. either. But everybody knows that everybody else is a fucking asshole. And in my opinion, he's also playing with villains now, something he didn't really have before in a lot of his early stuff. He didn't have true antagonists, right? Bill the Butcher is the first one where he has a true antagonist, and it's a super complex antagonist, right? I feel like he comes back and Frank Costello, who is played by um, Jack Nicholson, who is played by the Joker, um, is also this weird, complex villain who you begin to love as you begin to meet him, and his points start to get spookily. He makes his point in the very first fucking scene. Right. He's talking to young Matt Damon, and he's telling him, my neighborhood, they told us you could be two things, cop or a criminal. What I'm asking you is, when you're looking down the barrel of a loaded fucking gun, what difference does it make? That's the whole thesis of this movie, and they carry it out the whole fucking two hours. I just have to toss in another great Scorsese 
um, trope, which is he will, in the very beginning, give you a line that is the thesis of this entire movie. Sometimes all my life, wanted to be a gangster. All my life, like, never look away. Ne- you know, the, the this, um, there's so much, you old poop. No, that's not in the beginning. God. <laughs> give us some milk, God. Howard Hughes. I love to drink milk. Um, I'm going to go find her grave and dump a, a bucket of milk on it and see how she feels. It's not her fault. But if that's real, I don't know she's if it walking is. around asking for milk. <laughs> um, Howard, you got milk? Milk? Howard. Milk? milk? Oh. Um, did you see it in the theater? I did. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm no longer friends with these people. We went and saw, we went to the theater to go see this. And it was sold out. And the next the, the next showing started in like forty five minutes. The fucking assholes I were with just went and bought some fucking. I'm not a big kung fu fan, but who's the guy that was in Lethal Weapon Four? Jet Li. I hate Jet Li. <laughs> we went and saw some fucking Jet Li. I movie. am ambivalent to Jet Li, but I I, I understand I, what you're saying. I hate Jet Li after this because ah. I went and saw this movie instead of The Fucking Departed, and I fell asleep. And then I was like, No, just leave me here. I'm gonna go fucking see The Departed. Afterwards, I was so angry. And then Jet Li showed up and punched him in the stomach. I was like, why don't you hang out with your friends, you little wiener? He actually was in the theater with me. <laughs> oh, that's cool of him. That yeah, was nice of him. it was really nice. I went and saw it with a girlfriend at the time. Because this was, this did come out in 2006, six, I believe, something like that. And she said, you're crazy like that. <laughs> About DiCaprio's character. And I said... Thank you. She was like, "No, you're all weird and and vulnerable and angry like that." And I was, I said, "Thank, thank you." I don't know how to respond to that. And she said, "You should start wearing backwards hats like that." And then I said, in my head, I think I got to get a new relationship. <laughs> but it comes out to massive critical praise. Yeah, the part it was Scorsese's highest grossing film, not accounting inflation, of all of his movies until Shutter Island. Yeah. It made $130 million, just domestic box office. He finally wins Best Director for The Departed. It's one of the few times I think that it wasn't a sort of reward for a lesser movie after the Academy had passed you up. I think he really had come back with, it's one of his tightest movies. All of these big-time actors, these big-time egos, getting them to be this true ensemble piece where I sometimes think about just... There's a scene where DiCaprio and Martin Sheen and Wahlberg are under a bridge and they get into this weird bickering argument that gets out of control. But because they're arguing, Sheen has to break them up because they're undercover cops. They can't have an argument yeah. where people can see them. It's this weird and it works so good and it's so everything feels real and spooky. And The Departed is truly, in my opinion, more so than anything other than Goodfellas that he's made. If it comes on television, I'm watching the whole damn thing. And it'll suck you in. And if you watch the first few minutes of The Departed and they're like, eh, I don't know, then just, just be into whatever lame crap you're into. Honestly, stop trying to go deeper into cinema because it's not going to work. You have bad taste, you know, and maybe just, I don't know, just wander, just wander the world until you've disappeared to the earth. I don't know. That's a theory I have. <laughs> this is unrelated to <laughs> most things, but when we were living at the Shark yeah. Shack, mm-hmm. I was walking down Whipple. I was mm-hmm. walking down Whipple, just crossing the street, 
and I will never forget this. There's a scene in The Departed where a character falls off a building because he's thrown. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Give away bigger spoilers already. Anyways, but the way <laughs> he falls it's is out. so memorable. Just like legs and yes. feet in the oh. air, and you just watch him fall in slow motion. He cuts the sound out. Yeah, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I was walking across the street, and a fucking giant rat fell out of the sky the same way and just splattered the same way this character does. And I just did that step back that fucking DiCaprio does. Yes. But instead of seeing anything else, this giant ass hawk lands on <laughs> a car and then stares at me. Whoa! And he just goes like, it just makes super strong eye contact. I'm like, all right, Costello. Hey bro, let's go. Keep walking. I'll keep no, walking. Then, eat that. I was like, um, whoa. And I start moving and then it starts, turning in my direction <laughs> and then I turned the other way and it didn't move so I just went around two other cars and then walked very slowly like sideways backwards right. into the house this is not a joke about wait you know that for a second that hawk sized up whether or not it could carry you off no I know it just yeah I think he's w- one of those hairless monkeys they're kind of dangerous I think he just wanted to fight if you like want a fat just, joke, the scene is that someone throws uh, Alec Baldwin's sandwich off of a building and he dives after. <laughs> I apologize. You can cut that. You I, smoke? <laughs> what do you want? Those health nuts? You smoke, huh? Fuck you. <laughs> what do you want? Those health nuts? You want to live forever? Huh? Fuck you. Um, the Depart is amazing. It's, in my opinion. I think I've seen it more than Goodfellas at this point. I And, and it's, of the, the Scorsese renaissance, of the 2000 Scorsese, it is his jewel. It is yeah. his jewel of that decade. It is the one... That changes everything for him. Because then after this, as much as everyone had liked him, as much as he had made Goodfellas, there's kind of that element where a lot of directors have made one classic movie. Can they make another one? Can they make another one? And to make another one suddenly made everyone say, oh, Martin Scorsese, you are now a knight of the United States. You can do what you like. You are a genius. And Well, the thing is, he's made classic movie after yeah, classic movie after sure. classic movie. They were a but little he, underground in the beginning. He was, and in the 80s, mm-hmm. even like up in the casino. Mm-hmm. But when he hit this age, he fucking went from that guy people in video stores talked about, and like mm-hmm. people who went to art fucking theaters, mm-hmm. to just everybody. He became a pop star. Exactly. And he took, he took the boy pop star who was... He was Quincy Jones producing Michael Jackson. Listen, no, no children got raped, I don't think. Um... But I don't want to make the comparison between DiCaprio and Michael Jackson is what I'm saying. Um, in the Surprisingly okay with this. <laughs> but the element that also everyone, at least in our age, a little bit. When you saw Romeo and Juliet, you were like, yeah, super handsome guy who's cool. He'll probably go the way of the handsome guy in movies. It's tough to then morph and become the early 30s guy who is a Oscar box office powerhouse who does insane, super cool performances, all of them nuanced, all of them different. This is a very different DiCaprio than he was as Howard Hughes. This is a very different DiCaprio than him as Amsterdam in Gangs of New York. And I think it'll be, in a way, a very different, uh, you know, DiCaprio than the next movie he makes with Scorsese. We'll get into that. Well, we are going to kind of speed up, though, a little bit. We're going to do an entire Scorsese documentary episode one day. So we will keep going with the narrative stuff, and we're going into the 2010s. The first one in the 2010s of his narrative stuff is another, you guessed it, Nick, Leonardo DiCaprio film. 
based on Dennis Lehane's novel. I like give me a chance to guess. <laughs> what, what was your guess? It's a cabrio. <laughs> I like Dennis Lehane a lot. He's a real spooky writer. He's a modern writer. And as you could guess, a lot of weird is it's not exactly horror. It just has a lot of violence and cerebral stuff in it, but sometimes elements of supernatural. And for the first time since bringing out your dead, Scorsese goes back to a little bit of supernatural stuff, some spooky ookie. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad Scorsese finally felt comfortable enough to go back to making himself a ghost movie or possible ghost movie. Who's to say, I don't know, but he makes in 2008, he begins production on shutter Island. It comes out in 2010 and is Martin Scorsese's highest grossing film. What do you think about Shutter Island, Nick? It's not perfect, mm-hmm. but I fucking love it. There is some very weird, spooky stuff that yeah. I always remember. It's about a detective who is sent to a mental asylum to find a patient who has disappeared. But then you begin to wonder whether or not this person is actually a detective or if they are also crazy and are an inmate or if the whole thing is a ruse to gaslight them and fuck with them. The detective being Leonardo DiCaprio, he, Scorsese brings in a bunch of actors who he'd never worked with, like Mark Ruffalo, Max von Sydow, Michelle Williams. Is Michael Shannon in that movie? I don't recall. I, um, I, maybe I hallucinated that. Ben Kingsley is in this? Ben Kingsley. Uh, is it Miranda Richardson? Not Miranda Richardson. Well, Michelle Wi- Clarkson. Yes. Michelle Williams is kind of the ghost dead wife girlfriend character. Yeah. Possibly dead, possibly not real at all. Um, it's very much so in that way where it has that old Hollywood noir, but sometimes how noirs would be, particularly in German expressionism, where is this actually happening? Is this really happening or is this character fucking nuts? And I got to say, I saw it in the theater. I saw it in 3D in the theater. And... I liked it. I liked it. It spooked me out. But I also, I don't think I've watched it since. So. Seen it once since I saw it in the theaters. Yeah. I, Brian has seen it four times. Brian is, wow. Brian's watching it right now. Brian is actually on his phone. He's not paying attention to us at all. And <laughs> Brian is showing us his tattoo. It's just a tattoo of Max Van Sydow. <laughs> I support this. Good call. Um, and there's a cool part in it where there is a maybe inmate crazy lady who starts to explain her theory that once we started as a society having the telephone, we started hearing voices that weren't our own voices, and that slowly started to drive us insane. And then once we had the television, we were surrounded by voices that were not our own voices. And then what is anything? The voices are always there. How do you know what your interior monologue sounds like without these voices? And that stuck with me. And... I don't know. It's his art movie. It's his art movie. I didn't think it was his art movie. You don't think so? No. I think it's a fun little creepy ghost detective story. You don't think there's a little bit of him being like, as much as I love Scorsese, him being saying to himself, I want to I try a little David lynch kind of shit in my, my Hollywood blockbuster. I don't know. Uh, Is it anything? Is anything going on? <laughs> I don't I didn't really get that from this. No? Okay. I got a little bit of the Cronenberg, David Lynch, I don't even have an ending. Fuck you. Kind of. No, there's an ending to this, and it's fucking great. What is the ending, Nick? 
Spoiler alert. I'm cur- I'm genuinely curious what your take on the ending is. My take on the ending yes. is just the question that he asks Ruffalo before he walks away. Is it better to live as a monster or to die thinking you're a good man? That's fair, but is he who he is? Is he the detective? No, he's the crazy guy. Or is this some sort of weird gaslight thing? Because they didn't want them finding out what was going on. This is like a weird ghost factory, and they don't want anybody figuring out. So they have to gaslight anybody who gets close and starts to figure it out. I don't know. I like the – there's a whole thing in there with about his wife where she just stays home with the kid, and she slowly goes crazy. Right. That's very first-wave feminism. And the doctor, he didn't realize she was a doctor. That's like a feminist thing to me. I sort of just, you know, I'm taking it more straightforward than you are. I suppose, but there is no clear-cut ending is what I'm saying. No, you asked me for my no, interpretation. No, I, I agree. I agree. No, I, I – but it's – Ray Liotta is in witness protection at the end of Goodfellas. Yeah, because there's a sequel directed by somebody else. Right. There is the weird ending shot that's a lot like the third man where F- – Vera Farmigo will not speak to Matt Damon at the end of The Departed because she knows that he killed her secret boyfriend and father of her child, Leonardo DiCaprio. Spoilers. Spoilers. But there's clear-cut... Most of the time, even the end of Bringing Out Your Dead has kind of a clear-cut ending that he tried to save Arquette, and he kind of did. He may be at the sacrifice of himself, but there's a clear-cut ending. That's all I'm saying. The thing I remember the most is that normally Scorsese is not the guy who goes into weird nebulous endings. He's not Nolan. He's not, uh, like I said, Cronenberg or Lynch or something. Well, the ending to Taxi Driver is kind of the same thing. Yeah, but I think that this is a movie about a guy losing his goddamn mind and living in a fantasy world. You see him become fantasy world psycho guy. But you don't know if he's alive or dead when that happens. That's fair. You can say the same thing about Mean Streets. That's agreed. He does like Shane. He does like those kind of nebulous endings. But this is, what is this ending? You know, it has that. Anyway, I think that's the thing that stands out to me. It's worth watching. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely worth watching. It's another one where DiCaprio is playing a different character. Him getting into a weirder, more subtle, cerebral character. After that, he makes another music documentary with George Harrison. You may have heard of him. He was in the cars. Yes. <laughs> Get out of the band. I'm in the Beatles. And he makes Hugo. He makes his first true 3D movie after this, which he made a movie, which he said he wanted to make a movie so that his daughter could watch it. I think it's his only movie that's not rated R. If you've never seen Hugo, it's wild. It's about Paris. I've never seen Hugo. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, then I won't spoil too much. Once again, I go ahead, I don't care. He's using a ton of people he's never used before. Sasha Baron Cohen. He's trying to get that money back. Yes, <laughs> Chloe Moretz, Emily Mortimer, Christopher Lee, Jude Law. And for lack of a better comprehension, it is about the beginning of cinema in France, which I don't know if you know this. Spoiler alert, Scorsese is a big-time, particularly film nerd, particularly about George Malaise, who, if you don't know who George Malaise is, I'm not going to be all critical. That is fair. I highly recommend YouTubing George Malays, YouTubing his movies. He did Trip to the Moon. His style, his concepts, his special effects would change everything. He was a magician who eventually became a filmmaker 
in the earliest days of cinema, and maybe was our first, for humanity, our first sci-fi filmmaker. And it greatly affected Scorsese. It greatly affected his idea of what you could pull off. And this is a big, big, big time love letter to George Malaise. And I won't go too much into it because you haven't seen it. Teps, have you seen it? Yeah, it's Teps, give me the thumbs up. I only saw it in the theater, though. I only saw it in the theater. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very beautiful and very well executed. But I have to also say, I don't remember too much about it. There was an automaton, Ben Kingsley. There's a nice second act surprise, which I won't spoil. But it's worth watching. It got nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. It was Oscar bait two, uh-huh. Electric Boogaloo. You can't show it to kids. I think it's the first Scorsese movie that I would say straight out. You can show it to a kid who's five years old because it's meant for that. It also Kundun is PG thirteen. You can show that to a yeah, I I do a child yeah, I who bore the shit wants out to of fall that. asleep. <laughs> if you want to traumatize them with suck, but Hugo, Hugo's fun. It is. It's fun. It's a kids movie made by Scorsese, so it has his sort of execution and tightness, but doesn't have that bite, so it loses something to me a little bit because he's not allowing himself to be biting. And when he starts to get him going into kid cheesiness, he doesn't have that ability, in my opinion, at least that I've seen so far. I'm not, I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying Steven Spielberg can keep his bite, or at least at the height of his career, could keep the bite and still make it so that technically kids could watch this but there's still an edge. There's still a Tyrannosaurus Rex that is going to eat Jeff Goldblum. You know, there, Scorsese loses the whole thing. He just goes into it. And so the, the really weird thing about this mm-hmm. is that when he made this, his daughter was 30. <laughs> Dad, make a movie I can watch. Okay. Get back in the cage. <laughs> um, his daughter is a robot. <laughs> I thought it was a Flowers in the Attic reference. <laughs> but we will go into a movie. I think this is one of the, not one of the first movies we bonded over. But I think one of the first movies where we truly became. Well, this came out when we started living together. I know. Yeah. But I went and saw The Wolf of Wall Street in 2013. I'm going to tell you straight out. This is going to be on my blockbuster wall. Yeah, no shit. I love The Wolf of Wall Street. Unabashedly. It's his funniest movie. It might be his craziest movie. It's him and DiCaprio. I don't know what bug got up their ass. But they made The Wolf of Wall Street. What, just give me some hot takes on The Wolf of Wall Street. Nick, what are you thinking about The Wolf of Wall Street? I think it is watching close to three hours of people who go, who just, while they're making the movie, run, no, 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 no. We get nuts. We get, we get crazy with this. And just went fucking balls out. Yes. Absolutely insane. This is the equivalent of, like, you know that scene in fucking Goodfellas or really Ray Liotta is like that day he gets arrested, he's on coke and he's running around the whole time. Yeah. They turned out into a three hour movie, but while the whole thing's happening, there's a band behind him destroying their instruments. <laughs> That's and, what this movie is. And it's also chaos. he's having a way better time. Oh, the cops are not so chasing much him fun. at all. Yeah. No, he's buying the cops. <laughs> yes. Fun coupons. Fun, fun coupons. It is the height of Scorsese understanding that humans, particularly in America, want to see what the villains are up to, want to see what their antics are, because we secretly think they are fun, but also having that only, something that only he, I think, has ever really been able to pull off, which is that even as you are watching this, you know they're the bad guy. Yeah. You know what they're doing is evil. People made a big fuss about when this came out, that he was 
glorifying oh, Jordan no. Belfer. No. Jordan Belfer in this movie is a drug addict. Yes. He is a dude that fucking hits women. Yes. He is a dude. Has he ever hit a woman? He punched old girl in the stomach. Punches Harley Quinn? Yeah, I think so. And turns her into Harley Quinn. Is this canon? Anyways, <laughs> no, it's not. And um, I apologize. Uh, yeesh. Um, he crashes a helicopter. He yes. crashes a car. He destroys this. He drives drunk. He rips off his friends. He is rips off everyone. Rips off everybody. Yes. Rips off the poor. Mm-hmm. He steals people's life savings. He is a gigantic piece of shit. But yes. by God, is it fun to watch? He is so captivating. Yeah. It, you can't take your eyes off. Of you him. can't. And in that way, someone who could rip off. Millions of people in America couldn't possibly be boring. No. The greatest salesman of the 80s, the greatest shyster of the 80s, be boring. How could that be possible? It, it's not. No. It's, it really isn't. And that's the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And it's also, it's just everyone in this movie and everyone making this movie yes. had so much goddamn fun. There are three directors in this movie mm-hmm. as co-stars. Oh. You have Spike Jones. Oh, the Spike Jones scene. Spike Jones' cameo where he's like, if you sell 4,000 of these, <laughs> I will suck your dick, and I want to. <laughs> and then you have uh, John Favreau and yes. Rob Reiner. Rob, and they're both, Rob say, Reiner steals this entire yes, fucking movie. Yes, yes. And every scene he's in, which is really hard when DiCaprio. Also, Jonah Hill is a director. He's a director now. But I'm just saying. Retroactively. I love Joe. This is when I fell in love with Jonah Hill, too. This is when I said, yeah. to, I like Jonah Hill. He'd been in Superbad. He'd been in some stuff. I thought he was cool. I thought he was funny. This is where I said to myself. I'm not going to let anybody fuck my cousin. <laughs> it's my cousin. You know what I'm saying? You you show me a paycheck that says you own $200,000 last year. I will quit my job by fucking now. The scene. Hello? The- <laughs> yeah, I quit. <laughs> yeah, I quit. <laughs> The part where him and him and Jonah Hill smoke crack together. This is if you ever see this we movie, gotta run. we gotta run like the tigers. Lions, the, bears. The, tigers the, bears. the I absolutely smoke uh, crack with me, bro. Smoke crack with me, bro. I say smoke crack with me, bro, to you and just a few other people. Like, yeah. I, if, if you're gonna say smoke crack with me, bro, yeah. Even as a joke, you have to mean it. You, have to, I mean it. I yeah. genuinely mean it. I, Teps, give me your crack. Yeah, I. Me and Teps are smoking crack right now. Teps is tweaking. I don't know what that means. No, that's math. I apologize. I apologize to my drug addict listeners. Okay, I know. Uh, excuse me. Our drug yeah, addict listeners. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. I'm definitely not drinking alcohol right now. But it's, dare I say it, maybe the most fun <laughs> of all of Scorsese's movies. People say, they go, hey, it is a period piece, right? And exactly what you said. They said this is, he's exploiting and he's just saying that you know, he's just trying to make light of this. and But super modern, though, I agree. But I think it points out a very good point, which is this is how the 80s fucking was. Everybody lost their minds. They started to get a taste of selling off all the industry and selling off everything. And everyone got a bunch of more money than they thought they could possibly have. And everyone went bananas and the society ran with it. Reagan and you know, Rambo and the entire culture of Game Omar and Rob Reiner. And they, <laughs> I don't know if that works all the way. It works. But, yeah. I mean, that's part of why he put some of these eighties people in it is because the excess Oliver Stone had made shitty movies about wall street. There had been doofy. Uh, Can I say something? Yes. Oliver Stone has made shitty movies about everything. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> 
How about Alex is it great? No way. Oh my God. That definitely isn't real stupid and insulting to me. Oh, because your last name is the great. That is Why right. is he allowed to release <laughs> five fucking different director's cuts of that movie? Because because can, he, can someone give me a fucking reasonable I, explanation? Because he won Best Picture one time. Oh my god! If you win Best Picture one time, you are literally allowed to wag your dick around in Hollywood unless and, you Scientology bought your Oscar. But we're not saying that ever happened. Oh the, well, and then they take it back. Right? Yeah. That's true. That is true. That's a crash reference mm-hmm. for teams. Mm. Where if you then defy Scientology, they will take your Oscar back yeah. and you will be made a, a suppressive person, an SP. You are made an SP and are no longer allowed to have your Oscar anymore. Just like um, Nicole Kidman. Actually, she's real cool. She's, she's amazing. Still, she's amazing. Yeah. She really is. They can't I, fuck with dude, Nicole we Kidman. we should have a Nicole Kidman episode. That'd be We dope. should. That'd be great. Let's start it right now. Taps? Taps. What are you doing right now? Taps, you're not up to anything. Let's just cut out what yeah. we're going to do. Anyway. Um, okay. Look. Before we continue and kind of end this, The Wolf of Wall Street has a scene in which someone is high on quaaludes and has to save someone from choking. It has a scene where there is a yacht that sinks. He's saving someone who tried to kill themselves with a ham sandwich, (laughs) much like Mama Cass. Although hers was probably accidental. then sees a Popeye cartoon on television and pours cocaine down their nose. In order yeah. to pop by themselves to save their dying yeah. friend. They, it's, it's, it's much <laughs> like the ending of that movie Flight, except it makes sense. Where they, cocaine is the hero. What's wild is too, there's not that much violence in this movie. There's no there's, there's it's not a violent it. movie. Right. There's but everything they're doing is violent. Is violent. A, is violent. Yeah. Yes. There's not violence though. Right. Which is interesting too, that he takes a little bit of a twist. Yeah. There's some fabulously hilarious lines. I would let that girl give me AIDS. Yeah. Is it's amazing. <laughs> it's so fucking good. It reveals Harley Quinn to the world, I think. Uh, yeah, it's her big break. Yes. Margot Robbie. Ushering it to you. But, yeah. but Margot Robbie, super A-list megastar, this is where she really appears. Yeah. This is where I saw her. And something I love about Scorsese sometimes, in that same way where he makes these movies that are full of dudes. They are full of dudes but they have one female character who is more complex and more bright shining than all the other characters in it. She's Karen. She's Karen. Yes, absolutely. She's a hundred percent. He's what he tried to do with Cameron Diaz in Gangs of New York. Uh, Right. I know. It doesn't always work real fast. And now I'm the guy going back to fucking gangs. Cameron Diaz's contract was for six weeks, and yeah. they kept extending it. She wound up being there for six months. She was pissed. I, look, man, sh- you're the you're the third lead. Yeah, there's three characters that matter, and it's, you're one of them. So, if you want to make this movie or not? Okay. If if my main complaint in life is that I had to make a movie for six months with DiCaprio and Scorsese, like. <laughs> I don't know if I can live with myself. So, Wolf. <laughs> it's if, one of those if things. If you think I was going to, after that, defend Cameron Diaz, no, no, we're no, in the no, wrong no, podcast no. together. It's, just, it, it's a, just something I bring up sometimes on Blockbuster Film School, which is just something in my life where whenever actors complain about some weird actory thing, there's an old Conan O'Brien joke they used to make where the only guests he didn't like were guests that had never really experienced life, and they would come on with some sort of beef and say, well, you know, I ordered a Ferrari, but 
They just didn't have the Ferrari that I wanted. And I would have to sit there and then pretend like I cared yeah, <laughs> or that I didn't hate them. <laughs> and like, that was a story that people could relate to <laughs> because this is these people's lives. This and is, this is why I love Robert Pattinson. Yeah. There's a whole fucking thing about him. He's, he lies on talk shows all the time. Oh, yeah. And he gets called out on it. He doesn't give a shit. No. But there is a great... That's why artic- Shia is so great, man. I'm sorry. The one, the best thing about Shia, do yourself a favor, is look up Shia LaBeouf on talk shows. He just starts saying yeah. crazy stuff. None of it is real. No. None of, and he just doesn't... He starts talking about times that his mom tried to murder him over a ham sandwich. I remember that on Conan... From like 20 years ago, and and everyone's like losing their mind because he is a hilarious storyteller. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, but yes. on the if you go on the website, thecut.com, I think about this a lot. There's a great thing on there about R Pats lying to Matt Lauer about a bunch <laughs> of clowns dying in a car, a clown movie he made. And then he went to Europe the next week to promote the movie and they brought that up. He goes, No, I was full of shit. And then he went on Jimmy Kimmel and lied about how the safety brothers asked him to jerk off a dog in good time. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. It's like a South Park gag. Okay, so DiCaprio was given he was given his Golden Globe yeah. for Best Actor. And everyone I mean, thought. Everybody thought, but then he wound up losing to the guy who's Hitting his chest right in front of him in the oh. fucking scene. Oh, well, uh, McConaughey. He works with McConaughey, and McConaughey does. I'm not going to say steal the movie. That's impossible. But he does have one of the most memorable scenes. He does. Maybe in cinematic history. Fugazi. It's just fairy dust. It's bullshit. Uh-huh. Oh, it's amazing. There's an ama- We didn't even mention this. There's an amazing scene with Matthew McConaughey yeah. as his weird fairy godmother who explains Wall Street to him and when he, he is a child. Yeah. Yes, and that's it. And you never see him again. Also, You've mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. Young DiCaprio movies is just DiCaprio with like his hair parted a different mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Young DiCaprio in this kind of looks like Young DiCaprio. It does, and he kind of is behaving like yeah. Young DiCaprio. They give him bigger spooky. suits too. Right, his suits just make him look like a little kid. He seems more earnest. He seems yeah. DiCaprio is DiCaprio is a national treasure. I'm sorry, he is an amazing actor. Uh, he bought his mom a house next to his house and in the Hollywood Hills, and when the tours come by. He normally is not there, but his mom comes out and says hello to everybody. Oh, and, but occasionally, adorable. occasionally he is there and will yell out the window at her. Mom, leave them alone. Leave them alone. This is a real yeah. thing based on uh, and then he my, has L- to, my then LA he, people. Then he <laughs> has to get, talk to somebody. You never talk to me. Like, <laughs> then he has to get his 19 year old girlfriend back in the house because she went outside to go chase butterflies. Was it his girlfriend or was it Lucas Haas's girlfriend? She's just staying there. Pussy possum. There. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Do Anyways, it. Do no, it. no, 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 no. I apologize. I apologize for. No, that's the name of a dumb group. I mean, fuck them. Back in the day, I don't know if that's still how it goes. Oh, come on. I don't know. There was an entire article about how when a woman who's dating DiCaprio hits 26. Yeah, no articles have been weird. Though there is a bunch of evidence to back it up. When they hit 26, he bounces them and then gets the next 22-year-old. Because he's in love with Kate Winslet and she won't marry him. She's married to that director guy. Yeah, and he's still pissed about it. Yeah. Just saying. If you want conspiracy theory, like hot fucking gossip stuff, do yourself a favor and YouTube interviews with DiCaprio and Winslet. 
and just just watch basically two people who are clearly in love with each other yeah. be weird because they're not together. It's very strange. And Titanic came out in what ninety seven, and Yeesh. but but also um, Fire Island that movie they made. No, the um, the Michael Shan- Revolutionary, Revolutionary Road. Road. Yes, I honestly for a second thought it was Fire Island. <laughs> Very, also, very also, different. Also, movie. the movie they did make, Fire Island. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, an, it was a Joel Schumacher movie that never came to fruition. <laughs> Full of nipple body suits. It was just nipples. <laughs> there were no actors, <laughs> no people, just nipples. <laughs> I just think it's a good idea. Yeah, Joel, get off the lot. Joel. Okay, I love Wolf. It doesn't win really any Oscars. No, uh, it gets nominated for like nine hundred Oscars. But it does not win any Oscars. It was, in the BBC's ranking, one of the 100 greatest motion pictures of 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's up there. Screw it should be. It's a great yeah, fucking absolutely. movie. absolutely. Like you said, the core of it, it's it's funniest movie. He basically made a comedy. Comedies mm. don't win Oscars. No. They hate comedies. No. And movies like that that are weird, that are kind of, what is this? What yeah. genre is this? What They don't. No, care. they don't they, that's why Kate Blanchett won yeah. for fucking Aviator because she was whatever the fuck her name is, and she's yeah. blowing up old Hollywood, and she's talking like she's got goddamn frog in her throat and drinking milk and, and whatever. And because it's sad. DiCaprio dies with eight-inch-long fingernails, pissing in jars, keeping it, dying in a hotel room. You want to win Best Picture? It's got to be sad as shit. Now, you might be able to pull it off kind of cool sad, like PT and uh, the Coen brothers, you know, with uh, There Will Be Blood or No Country for All Men kind of stuff. You might be able to pull that kind of thing off. But What a year 2008 was. Oh, man, dude, best. The best. Or The Silence of the Lambs or something like that. You might be able to pull cool sad off, but it's got to be sad. Yeah. You, can't, you can't have a movie that's happy. Be the You can't have a movie end with a guy who's just like, for a second there, I forgot I was rich. <laughs> Which is how that movie ends. Yeah. Um, Which also and also him indoctr it actually ends with him indoctrinating new people exactly and how to That's be the assholes thing. like this movie him. everybody like to bring up again everybody's like you're glorifying this is he no. or is he just showing you He's how flawed the system yes. is at every level mm-hmm. where not only does he get out of rich people jail he's allowed to make new minions off of his he gets to speak it, of his yes. old mistakes it is a warning it yeah. is a warning. People like this will be allowed to do whatever they want until the end of time. We have a president that is one. Yeah. Like, unless we stop them. Unless we stop yeah. them, these clowns get to run around ruining people, having the best time. Yeah. You think they're not having the best time? They are. Everything that this movie wanted to be, everything this movie is, mm. is what the big short thought it was. Yes. Ugh. And that won some Oscars Ugh. because it was, it, is, it was sad. It was the saddest story you have, in the history of America. You have the fucking guy from the office. Right. At the end of it, sitting on a fucking balcony eating a sandwich overlooking New York on a rooftop that I can never afford but to even get in a hotel that movie, of. It's because those guys also had a good time. Those yeah. guys are all rich. This whole Millionaire. BS movie. That guy won billions uh, of dollars. This whole BS movie where that Brad Pitt character is, oh, I'm worried. I'm worried about society. I'm, I'm worried. No, you're not. You're, not. you're a billionaire. You're sitting in a hot tub. You don't give a shit. Give me a break. Just, uh, at least the Scorsese movies have. Honest. They're honest. It's honest. It's honest. These people don't give a fuck. They are high no, preludes. So, and at least I'm it, not fucking dying sober. And I bet it's fun. I bet it is fun to be yeah. rich as shit, and out of control. Why do you think Nicholas Cage lost all his money twice? 
This is great. It's great. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. All right. All right. Redo Do it. it. Do it. So after that, he doesn't make another movie. We talked about this. He makes the two-hour pilot of Vinyl with Bobby Cannavale with... Olivia Wilde, who's a great director. God, yes, yes. And with Everybody Loves Raymond, and who's great in it. Also, he's in The Irishman. He's great. He's, I, more and more, Ray Romano is actually a really nuanced character actor. It's insane. It's, he it's, was the shittiest sitcom person ever. There, and then he's so good at everything else. There is a possibility that people are just actors, and when you give them stupid shit to do, they pull off stupid yeah. shit great. And when you give them really hard, interesting stuff to do, they pull it off great yeah. too. They could just have acting talent. It's kind of like when now that Bombach uses Sandler in all of his movies, and that Sandler is all of a sudden this... It, well, like with PT with Sandler, you know? It's like yeah. you give him something really difficult and interesting to do, and it's different. Yes, but... At the same time, before we go into this, the reason he's doing vinyl is, and we brought it up in our Steve Buscemi episode in the archives, but we're kind of trying to go through this, but he also directed a lot of episodes of Boardwalk Empire. This is why he was allowed to make vinyl. I liked the first season of vinyl. I particularly liked- First and last. Yeah, unfortunately. I But particularly, do yourself a favor. Defy the critics and the, do yourself a favor. Watch that two-hour- Scorsese movie, Scorsese written and directed movie of vinyl that is about New York 70 in the 70s and the rock and roll scene. It is a Scorsese movie. It's, it's, yeah. Off topic, but yeah. totally worth mentioning on the podcast. Ray Romano's net worth is $130 million. God damn. But the first Google image that shows up is clearly Fran Drescher. <laughs> That's fair. That makes yeah. sense. That, that actually, that makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes I, Google nails it. I'm going to start trying to figure out a Ray Romano impression because I think I can figure one out. I can Just hear his voice in my head. Do an Italian version of Seth Rogen laughing. Uh, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's the impression. <laughs> that's Seth Rogen. Okay, now, now, <laughs> um, now put a breadstick in your mouth. Hey. All right, now. <laughs> sorry. It's still, it's still Long Island. I'm sorry. It's just, just kind of. Let's shit on this fucking... Um... All right, well, real quick. All right, so same thing. We brought it up, though. We brought it in the Steve Buscemi episode. We gushed on it then, but him, Buscemi, finally get to work with work together on a lot of episodes. He directed the first episode of that, which I believe was also an hour and a half long. Boardwalk Empire. If you're not up on Boardwalk Empire and you're a Scorsese nerd, you need to watch Boardwalk Empire. Needless to say... It's an amazing show. I think it might be... From his producing standpoint, his most impressive thing he's ever done. Yes. Him putting that show together, knowing which actors he wanted, selecting all these new directors and writers, really revitalizing HBO in a lot of ways. Because he also worked on a lot of Sopranos episodes as a producer, right? And they brought him in. And let's face it, if nothing else, Sopranos leans more towards Scorsese influence than anybody else. I mean, who else is... Where does the Sopranos come from? At least from the zeitgeist. You know what I'm saying? Like, it comes more from Goodfellas than... It's not the Godfather. Like, Tony Soprano is not a Godfather character. He is a Goodfellas character. Bernard's. Yeah, exactly. And so, the fact that Sopranos is so successful and then eventually slowly morphs into bringing Scorsese into the fold to have him make Boardwalk is in my opinion, a very organic process. I see all of that happening. There's no way that that doesn't happen. 
And also something I like about HBO that they just they connect dots more than any movie studio yeah. where they go, people like Sopranos. We can't make more Sopranos episodes. So why don't we talk to Scorsese and see if he has an idea? Because people like Sopranos because they like Scorsese movies. That uh, you know, this kind of idea. So he makes vinyl. I won't bring it up too much because not too many people have seen it, but I will say, please watch it. It's not going to be on my wall, but it's really good. It's not in the top five of all Scorsese movies, but it's really good. It's really underrated and, well, well interesting. I'll think, okay, so then Scorsese makes an adaptation of Shushako Endo's Silence. And that's what it gets Yeah, and that's what happened. Yeah. It's about some uh, priests who get murdered by Japanese people. I have tried to watch it three times. Three times. I made it into it an hour one time. A full hour. Watching it. Like, trying. Watching it. Saying, this is going to get Scorsese at some point. I love you, man. I love you. I know you wanted to make it for years. I know this is a meditation on history and Catholicism and all this weird shit. It's boring as shit. It's boring as shit. It's as boring as going to church. It's boring as but church. longer. God damn, is it boring as church? It's Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver in it. And supposedly, Andrew Garfield turned down a unspecified Marvel character role because Marvel Studios felt bad about taking oh, Spider I, Spider-Man away from him, and they offered him an unspecified Marvel character. I don't know what it was. I actually know what it is. Which one? They offered him to be Star-Lord's dad in Guards of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> They offered him to be Black Panther. Um, <laughs> Oof. <laughs> I bet you. My theory is that they probably offered him to be Uncle Spider-Man in <laughs> the new Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Pig. <laughs> no, John Mulaney is the only Spider-Pig there will oh, be. Oh, naturally. Uh, and it doesn't do so well. <laughs> the film was released on December 23rd, 2006. 2016. 2016. Yeah, like super limited release, though. Nobody wanted to see that. They knew it. But it's crazy, though, because he makes another Bob Dylan documentary. He makes several documentaries. Yeah, he's made a bunch of... He loves making rock and roll documentaries. Next season, we'll do another. Yeah, we'll do another Scorsese episode. And we'll come back with this, because I haven't seen The Irishman yet, but it's just come out. Yeah. And it is uh, his next one. It's, it's only getting, in four fucking theaters. I know, but it's getting it's a huge goddamn disgrace. critical praise. Huge. It's a goddamn disgrace. One time at Columbia, there was a thing with short films. My short film had won a prize at Columbia, and Richard Roper was there, and he kind of offhandedly made fun of my short. Made fun of it, yeah. So I just want to point out one thing real quick. Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, came up with this entire thing that nobody had ever come up with. Knights of Chicago came up with a way for Chicago to be important in world cinema. And then one of them died tragically, died before his time. And this dildo showed up and slid his way in there like Shemp in the goddamn untalented wise in the fucking Three Stooges. And now we have to listen to his stupid opinions, okay? My only point is, even Richard Roper said that it's the best movie he's seen in a long time and that even though it's like three and a half hours long, it's not long enough. And I'm just putting this out there, okay? That is a backhanded compliment to Richard Roper. I have no idea where you're fucking going with that. Yeah, so I understand. I understand. I'm just, <laughs> I have not seen so this it. is going to end with you reading a letter to Richard Roper threatening <laughs> his life. Dear Richard Roper, if I see you Dear in the Richard street, Roper, you don't know I'm who gonna, I am. I'm not going to kill you 
but I am going to stab you in the tip of your penis with a penknife. Um, but Richard Roper thinks it's great. Now you can take that with a grain of salt because if Richard Roper thinks it's good, it could suck. Yeah. But so it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, off topic. Yeah. Uh, when I was going to Harold Washington, I think it was the same time you were going to Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harold Washington is right down the street from ABC Studios. And Mark G. and Greco came out. We were walking down the street. And I go, hey, it's Mark G. and Greco. And he turns and goes, hey. I'm like, uh-huh. And he goes, oh. And he turns around. Somebody I was with goes, <laughs> who is scared. that? I'm like, that's that asshole from TV. Hey! And then he turned around again. I was like, what? I'm like. <laughs> it was high as shit. <laughs> he realized that it was art kids. Yeah. He's like, they don't know anything about the bears. I got to get out of here. <laughs> They don't also, talk to me about I was way nicer to him than I was to Bobby Flay. So let's just yeah. get that out of the way. Yeah. I will also say, I didn't say anything or do anything to me to Richard Roper, but when he started talking shit, like offhandedly, like, well, I don't know, there isn't a movie where there's some sort of goofy time travel element that doesn't get executed well. I had a moment where I, in that moment, in like 2007, if he would have then walked into the audience, I may have jumped out like a panther and tried to murder him. I may have DiCaprioed him like, what is it? Cranberry juice. Was it your period? Like I may have waited with a glass of cranberry juice and smashed it over his head and started punching him as hard as I could. I like the idea of you waiting in the shadows with your bad back, <laughs> holding a glass of cranberry juice to pounce on somebody. <laughs> I'm just saying, I love the, I love, I love the DiCaprio fight scenes of the departed. Cause it's all, it's nonsense. They're all, Oh yeah. Like, hey, what are you? What are you guys, uh, selling cannolis? Uh, <laughs> These are dirty, dirty people. Yeah. And, and he starts hitting the guy with, he breaks the coat he rack. Cuts his hand. He breaks his hand. And then, and then he has to take a coat hanger with one coat hand. Rack. Coat rack with one hand and start hitting a guy while he's in a cooler full of fucking, then, like, popsicles. For no fucking reason, because he refuses yeah. to let go of his broken hand. He opens the door by kicking the handle three times yeah. and then leaves. Yeah. While this poor dude just standing there going, why are you everybody like this? Why do you do this? Why does everybody just fight? You got to let Costello know you're crazy. Yeah. All right. So I think we're at that point. I think we're at of the entire three episodes. What? Are we not shaving Taps' head? Oh, no, no. We're definitely. Taps and... Untrue. Send it to the microphone for the love of God. Well, we're gonna inject. He's gonna be bald soon, anyways. That's not. Listen, I've been injecting him with human growth hormone. So either way, we don't know what's gonna happen, but he's gonna be very muscular. Um, he's jacked right now. That's true. He's always been jacked. That, that um, nine-inch nail shirt's very tight. You know what you need to do if you do it though. The trick though is to go all the way bald, grow a mustache, and then just like really get ripped, like uh, Bronson in the movie Bronson. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. You need look. your mustache to connect to your sideburns. Just have the sideburns. Ooh, also kind of cool. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Okay, but we're gonna do a full blockbuster wall. We're Ooh. gonna do we're gonna do all five Scorsese across all eras. The blockbuster wall, which you have all been waiting for. So it's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. <laughs> Nicholas, what's your number five blockbuster wall, Morton Scorsese directed film? The crazy part is it's a movie that didn't wind up in our blockbuster wall for the Nicholas Cage episode. Interesting. Oh. It's bringing out the dead. Ah, uh, yes. It is. Uh, it's 100% worth watching. 
Yeah, it's like everything we said about in the last episode still rings true. It's the end of New York as it was. <sighs> it's the it's a great ghost story. It's a great just fucking maniacs. Yeah. It's a story about maniacs. Kind of also end of New York, end of Scorsese's love affair with New York. And also the end of his kind of first era. It's the end of that initial blow-up era. The end of the... I know it's got Nicolas Cage, but the end of the kind of De Niro era of yeah. Scorsese. And I, I love it. It's crazy. It's pandemonium, and I agree with you a hundred percent on that being on the wall. Only to do something different, I will say number five for me... I know, is Taxi Driver. It's not my favorite. It really isn't. But it's so wild and different than any, still to this day, wild and different than anything you've ever seen. And I know we've brought this up with a lot of the great master filmmakers that we've talked about, but now it seems so commonplace, the crazy killer slash vigilante slash possibly dreamboat you know yeah. this <laughs> fuck you Todd Phillips <laughs> <laughs> seriously the joker i mean all these things are so ingrained into our media now that people don't process that kind of out of nowhere two maniacs him and trader came up with this and and i guess new york city also in the 80s yeah. came up with it but 70s seven, yeah but that Back when it was the taxi days, the, you know, the the wild-ass New York created these characters and created Scorsese, created Schrader, and Paul Schrader, right? That's his name. Yeah. And that's literally what Scorsese said last week. <laughs> What's his name? What's that guy's name? Okay. Um, but yes, Taxi Driver is my number five, not the one with Queen Latifah and Jimmy Fallon. For the last time, that's just called Taxi. <laughs> my God. Are you looking at me? You looking at me? If you ever see anyone in a movie look into a mirror and say, you talking to me? Are you talking to me? That is from Taxi Driver. If you don't know that, that is honestly something that people will probably be saying in yeah. weirdly Disney movies into infinitum. Yeah. He Hillary Duff talking to a mirror. Yeah, yeah. And then the mirror comes to life. Yeah. And turns her into Cinder fucking Roller or some yeah, shit. Yeah. And still, you looking at me? You talking to me? Yes. And then he pulls a crazy-ass gun out of his sleeve. (laughs) It's such a wild movie. All right. right. So, fuck you, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, My number four, this is... I'm going to switch it up because I was either going to go with either Taxi Driver, since you said that, I'm going to go with the movie. I don't know. I just... Ooh, just go. I'm going to go with Mean Streets. Oh, it's so It's so A little surprising to me because I know you have a love-hate relationship with the original Bad Lieutenant, Mr. Harvey Keitel. Uh, But this is different. I know. This is Harvey Keitel before he forgot what people were like. Agreed. I don't want to steal your thunder, but can I tell you what I like about Mean Streets the most after all of this? Mean Streets truly maybe feels like these are his buddies from the neighborhood. This is what they talked like. This is how they were. If you want to see like the proto- the chrysalis, the cocoon of what would become Scorsese, it's Mean Streets. Yeah. It's them. The- if you want to see De Niro act like a total fucking asshole, mm-hmm. which is something he hasn't really done since. Yeah. Just act like a total asshole. <laughs> it's kind of true. Just straightforward asshole yeah. for no fucking reason. Yeah. He has a reason to be an asshole in every other movie. Yeah. King of Comedy, he's got a reason to be an asshole. Raging Bull, 
He's got a reason to be an asshole. Mean Streets, mm. he's just doing it for the fuck he's of it. He's just doing it. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to talk about it because I'm sure it's on our wall, but Jimmy Gallagher, Jimmy Gallagher's mysterious. Why is he such a psychopath? Why? The other ones have kind of reasons, yeah. right? Henry Hill, obviously, you know, he would have been nothing. His his brother's in a wheelchair. His dad yeah. beats him. The fact that he's so nice is weird, right? And you kind of get a, you know, you get a little bit with Pesci's character, you know, with Tommy, it's, he's made that way. You know, he's, he's a fucking lunatic. Yeah. Jimmy Gallagher isn't made that way. He doesn't have a temper like that. He just is a psycho. He's not a, he's a sociopath. He just, yeah. oh no, I'll, I'll kill somebody if I got to. That part where he's stomping on the yeah. bats too. And you finally see some emotion in his face. Scarier. Somehow also, scarier. Pesci. Is like that. This is how he is. He mm. wants to be a fucking cowboy. That's mm. him shooting the gun out of the mm. truck when they're robbing it. Henry Hill, yeah. he didn't want to do anything else. He's in it for the fun. I know. But Jimmy Gallagher, Jimmy Gallagher would never shoot Spider. No. He would never, no matter what he said to him, he would never do it. He might Everything, kill him later, but he would never. I think the thing with Jimmy yeah. is that he's a fucking businessman. Yes. It all comes down to the business. Yes, yes. He doesn't go after what's his fuck. Uh, it's until, never personal. It's never personal. Uh, Pesci makes it personal with uh, bats, but then he's already in too deep because he's there. I know. And fuck him anyways. But he would never shoot Spider. Spider's yeah. just yeah. Spider's making drinks. He doesn't even really want to kill Henry Hill or his wife. No. He doesn't want to kill Karen, no. but he has to because he's about to send yeah. him to prison forever. And everybody else <laughs> could send him to prison. He left all those bodies oh. in the wake. But Gi- it's like that's just it's either you or Johnny me. Roast this is business. Yeah. <laughs> but Johnny Rosby's a moron. Buying a giant big Cadillac. It's my wife's mother's name. Yeah. Okay. My four is Raging Bull. I'm putting it as four. It's his French New Wave movie. It's when Scorsese takes America, takes New York, and really takes all the French New Wave stuff, all the Truffaut movies he's been watching, all the Melville movies, and then he decides he's going to make a truly American movie, and he takes a lot of the 19th century art, a lot of this crazy boxing kind of concepts, Totally reworks all of sports movies, reworks the idea of a biop movie. Also, all these biop movies we have now are all just Raging Bull. All the biop movies before were all just John Wayne and dumb shit like that. The idea of a deep into it Ray or, you know, these goofy biop movies. You know what I'm saying? These biop movies. You know what I'm talking about, though. I do, yes. They are all Raging Bull. There is no deep into it, deep into the cut biop movie, in my opinion, before Raging Bull. I don't think it exists. And same thing. You get to watch De Niro also. In that same way where Scorsese, with his lead actors particularly, he lets them be just wildly different characters every time. Jake LaMotta from Travis Bickle is about as far as you can get. It's still him, but wildly different characters. And the only reason it's so kind of later in the list is because there is so much edge to the early Scorsese stuff that it's not as fun to watch. No. So they're scary. They're scary. They're kind of horror movies a little bit. These characters are genuinely terrifying. And I think that's kind of the difference of why I lean towards liking not just my age, but liking DiCaprio a little more is because DiCaprio leans a little more towards somehow being more vulnerable than scary, where De Niro is scarier. He is. I'm sorry. He just is. What's your three? Wolf of Wall Street. 
you chuck them at the bullseye. See, we got to be respectful though, because yeah. these people you can't they, look them in the eye go- though. They, they get gossip. All, they get- <laughs> Word gets around. They gossip. They get they get all you know haywired. The you showed me that YouTube of the great f words yeah. in the Wolf of Wall Street. If I guess I noticed that subconsciously, not the f bomb, but all these great f words yeah. in the Wolf of Wall Street. These just fiduciary fidu- <laughs> FBI. Fun coupons. I mean, this weird F's out. There's oh, for breast implants. <laughs> Betty fucking. Yeah. Uh, there is a harmony. For TNA. There is a harmony to that movie. It sounds like a song. It sounds like a song to me. It really does. It's a wild punk rock song, and it's cool. I agree with you. My three is Goodfellas. It's fine. <laughs> is the doofiest thing I've ever said of a movie that is a absolute American classic. I only am just personal taste. It truly is. Ray Liotta looks angelic. Joe Pesci is terrifying and amazing in it. Brosco is one of the coolest characters I've ever seen. Karen Hill is one of the most interesting characters I've ever seen on film. And um, yeah, Jimmy Gallagher is Michael Myers. If he was a really cool, Gambling dude who tipped the shit out of you and be your friend until he's not. So, so nothing like Michael Myers. No, but in that sense where no, he'll kill you. He'll kill. No, he'll he'll end you at any moment he has to. Whenever he has to, he'll do it. He wouldn't think twice to kill you if it was business. Yeah, and that to me is something that was Michael Myers never had a job. I'm just I'm not getting like. Uh, where did you get those overalls? <laughs> he killed that guy at the garage. <laughs> I assumed he worked on that set to get that <laughs> that Captain Kirk mask. Well, he broke into the thing, and then they oh, go that's outside. Fair. That's right. Sorry, I just I just watched it like three times. <laughs> All right, what's your three? Or your two, I'm sorry. Two. Um, I have this feeling we're going to reverse at, yeah, at a we're certain gonna, point. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. a feeling we have a pivot coming here. Number two is The Departed. I'm going to tell you right out, so that we're just talking about that's my number two yeah. as well. That's, yeah. I, God, as far as you're concerned. <laughs> Maybe, Um, maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. It's maybe his best written movie. I know that's crazy for Goodfellas. All of his movies explain things, but I feel like this one is one of the times where it explains stuff without having voiceover, without having expositional stuff. It just releases you into a world, and you're there now. Whether this world is real or not, you're fully immersed into this crazy version of cops and mafia and whether <laughs> that they are super interconnected and it literally comes down to who is who. And what's your favorite part of the departed? My favorite part of the departed is the alley scene where he leaves the fucking movie theater. And that's the only fucking scene where you really get the two leads yeah. together and it's fucking cat and mouse and it's creepy. And also this movie makes cell phones the most dangerous weapon in the movie. And this is yes. going on while it's yeah. happening the whole time. And then you accidentally fucking knife an Asian guy coming out of a restaurant because you think it's someone else. And then there's security cameras and there's X's everywhere. And you're going off of puddles and reflections. It is fucking tense. My yeah. nipples are hard right now. I'm not I, even kidding. It's amazing scene also that scene where DiCaprio manages to get the phone open in his pocket to hit 
yeah. the money symbol. He like he figures out where it and hits the money symbol to send it, and he could die. <laughs> there is some T mm-hmm. nine, yeah, yeah. There is also kind of now I'm thinking about some some weird Asian stuff in it. But anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of weird Asian stuff in it. But it, to be fair. Jack Nicholson's character, Frank Costello, is a psychopath and a racist. Yes. So his tirade of against the Chinese gangster guys is he is a shithead. Like, yeah. um, he deserves what goes down. I'm not even going to do any of that. Please don't. I won't. Please don't. I won't. I won't. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Which underrated one now? Well, I'll just say this because I think I, th- I have this theory that me and you have flipped one in three. We have, but because we, we're doing the underrated one before we see the number one. Do you want to do that? Yes. Okay. What's your underrated? No Direction Home. Wow. The documentary. I love that fucking movie. It's great. That was going to be my number five, mm-hmm. but when we do the Scorsese episode, spoiler alert, it's going to be my number one. The Scorsese documentary episode. Yeah, this guy's, yes. That's the, the next season. Yes. Mine is Vinyl, the, which, screw the season if you want, because to be fair, a lot of it is doofy. But the two-hour pilot, which is a movie, with Bobby Cannavale as a rock record producer in Manhattan in the 70s, trying to wrangle these lunatic fucking bands to try and make money off of the CBGB's Mars Bar punk rock culture, and literally, I'm spoiling it a touch, is in a scene that is based on a real thing where there was a concert at a dilapidated building with the New York dolls where the entire building collapsed. And he was one of the few people who survived. It's, it's, um, it's underrated. It is not the best Scorsese, but I don't think that many people have seen it. And I, every time I'm like, when I talk to people about Scorsese, I'm like, have you seen vinyl? And they're like, nah, nah, nah. I'm like, what? No, no. It's one of his best movies in a long time. It really is. It's really, there's a part where he's high on cocaine. The scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with the dream sequence with Bruce Lee, maybe slightly lifted from a scene with Bobby Cannavale with a coked addled dream sequence with Bruce Lee from vinyl. I just feel like vinyl should be watched. And it is criminally underrated. Real fast, though. If, mm-hmm. I don't know how it is anymore, but No Direction Home was two discs. And this is how Jess Rose showed me the movie. Yeah. And this is how everybody should start the movie. Start with disc two. Ooh. Finish the movie, and then watch the first one. Oh, he's a folk singer. Yeah. And you're like, Get eh. the good shit out of the way first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then go back and see where it came from so you can see that, like... It's rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, know about it. Start with his Kate Blanchett impression. You guys ever smoke weed? I don't know why it turned into Catherine Hepburn there for a second. Um, all right, so I think we flipped our one and three. Yes. But I have this theory that yeah. my one is Wolf and yours is Goodfellas. That is true. And um, I think we've talked about both of them. I don't really think we could say much more with these no, fucking movies. No, agreed. I would make the argument that as much as I love Goodfellas, there is no wedding dance sequence with DiCaprio doing the most iconically insane dance that I've ever seen any human being do on all of cinema. All you show me a more banana pants dance than the dance that the DiCaprio Jordan Pembroke does high on cocaine at his own wedding. I would like to see it. 
I would like. Um, it involves Oscar Isaac dancing with a robot. I love that Machina. scene. I love that. But that's a great dance. He looks. Yeah. He looks good, man. Fucking dope. Like, also Dexter at the end of fucking Gamer. That dance, dope. It's great. Of crazy pants dances, but I'm telling you, telling you, I just think I, 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 I this is a podcast, so my me dancing in my seat doesn't help anyone. No, actually, this is the best way for people to see you dance. <laughs> All right, look, I think we did it. I think we pulled it off. That was it, everybody. Yeah. That's Martin Scorsese. We'll probably come back to him. We'll probably do deep dives as we go along on, you know, we'll we'll really research the hell out of an episode if you want. But that's an overview. Wait till our Griffin Dunn episode. Oh, yeah, finally. <laughs> wait, wait for our Paul W.S. Anderson uh. episode. Oh, thank God. What's well, your favorite Resident Evil? Mine is none. Um, Mine's 17. Listen, I want you guys to do me a big favor. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe. I beg you. I beg you. Don't kill my family. Like and subscribe, please. We love you guys on anything you like, any of your podcast favorites, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Sklitcher, Comblo, Duplu, Singlau, and Wingalo. Look, whatever you guys like, you subscribe on it, please. We love you. And um, Nick loves you. You love them, right? Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> Nick, Nick enjoys you. I want you guys to drive your car real fast. Nope. I want you to do drugs. No. Nope. And I want you to do whatever the shit you want. Nope. Civilization is collapsing. But we will be here as Blockbuster Film School whenever you want us, and particularly next week. Super producer Brian Tepps, may the force be with you, and we will see you guys next week.